Welcome back, everyone. This is Drew DeArmond. And, you know, I'm glad to be back with BAMS Radio. It's been a long nine months plus since we last came to you following Alabama's Citrus Bowl win over Michigan and, of course, wrapping up recruiting. And then shortly thereafter, I think everyone knows what this country's been going through, both with COVID-19 and a lot of the racial strife in the United States. But we are back for another season. Uh, you know, I've lost count of how many of this is for me for BAMS, but it's when you're having fun, you kind of do lose track of time sometimes. And, I, you know, I love doing this, uh, bringing it to the listeners. I know we've had a lot of people asking about us returning. And I'm here tonight with my good friend from the Port City of Mobile, Dr. Thomas Watts, because he's been a very busy guy, uh, you know, wrapping up, you know, his doctorate. And, uh, and also now he is not just part, he's been a part of the University of Alabama and South Alabama, but now he's a working man. And Thomas, it's great to be with you again tonight, having you produce the show and also be a part of this Alabama football preview. But uh, how, how you been? How you been, my friend? It's been a while since we've last conversed. I, I've, I've been really good, Drew. Uh, as you said, uh, one of the reasons, uh, just to kind of get this out of the way, one of the things I've, I've been asked multiple times is when's Bams Radio coming back? And the reason we didn't do the show is that recruiting has been slow. Coronavirus knocked out the spring. And mm-hmm. there's only so many things you can speculate on. And I'm not crazy about going complete you know tinfoil hat conspiracy theory when it comes to this program but now that Alabama's back in fall camp we're getting some stuff coming out that we're going to talk about tonight we're going to be coming to you every week uh Redfish will be joining us uh we had a con a schedule issue so he couldn't join us for this first one but yeah I- I've been great Drew uh, I'm glad to be done with my dissertation but you know unfortunately I trade write a 300-page book for work 60 to 80-hour weeks. So, you know, I just get paid a little bit more. But it's, it's good. You know, this is – BAMS Radio is a way for me to unplug from the heavy-duty science and math that I do for my job and do the mathematics, at least, of football because that's, that's always been one of my happy spots. And, you know, with football actually back, you know, I got to watch – South Alabama win their first road game in three years over USM. That on was Thursday. a lot of fun, by the way. I really had a lot of fun with that watching that game. Yeah, it was. A, well, it was a good game just because you know football was back. Uh, go, go. My parents actually came over to the house that I bought, and we cooked and watched the game. They both fell asleep, but I soldiered on through because. <laughs> <laughs> but you know. But what we're really going to talk about tonight, and you mentioned this too, Drew, is what we're seeing from Alabama and where does Alabama's season kind of fit in the context of what we see for the 2020 college football season. And, and Drew, I've got to be honest with you, sitting here three weeks to kick, Alabama's in a really good spot. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think that with this offseason and one of the reasons, too, we uh, you re- referenced it in your opening statement. There, we weren't gonna. It was it was useless for us to to uh, exercise uh, all the speculation because now at least we know, Thomas, that 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 we we feel strongly enough that barring the unforeseen, we're gonna have a season. Okay, and e- even a month ago, we weren't sure of that. So we've made progress, no doubt about it. Uh, and, and I think the, the seeing South Alabama win, 
UAB getting a win under Bill Clark. That was great. We had it was kind of weird this Saturday, yesterday, having the first what should have been weekend of college football, big weekend, and Alabama and the SEC not playing. That was strange because honestly, we should be recording this show talking about Alabama playing against USC and Dallas, but we're not talking about any of that. But I do think even though this offseason has been so tumultuous, no spring practice. 40 days to get in 25 of fall camp, so an extended fall camp, so to speak, due to missing spring. I do think Alabama has come out about as good as they could. They've had no opt-outs. We followed that. All these opt-outs all across the country. Look at LSU. You know, they've lost, I think, 32 players to due to early entry in the NFL, uh, you know, opting out or transferring. And so that just – We've never seen that before. Look at Georgia's starting quarterback opting out due to the fact they bring in JT Daniels over his head. And I think Kirby Freeze, I mean, Smart, had been, you know, basically uh, he got caught in some lies and Jamie Newman decides to opt out. Of course, Georgia beats anything I've ever seen. Now the spin is, of course, JT Daniels. First it was Jamie Newman was a first-round pick going to win the Heisman and National Championship. Now JT Daniels is going to lead him to the promised land and probably be a first-round pick. And Dewan Mathis behind him, the redshirt freshman, is a future first-rounder. I mean, Georgia is the hype machine. I've never seen anybody, you know, honor themselves with national championships in August and September more than the dogs. But I will say this. I think Alabama, they've had a quiet, relatively, offseason, which is really good in this time, with this time what we're going through in our country. No opt-outs so far, though. We strongly believe Keelan Robinson could be at least looking to redshirt because he has not practiced. But, of course, as you heard Nick Saban earlier, uh, Thomas, uh, during this uh, offseason and when camp started, they're, they're going to handle opt-outs. The player has to announce it themselves. The university is not. So they, the player will uh, decide if he wants to officially announce it. We had uh, guys like uh, Najee Harris come back that we all thought would go pro to the NFL. Dylan Moses has not opted out. Uh, he he wants to be on this team and lead this team. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle. These are high-profile guys, and I think it says a lot for the culture of Alabama football and Nick Saban being on the same page with his players. And that's going to be a key to this season, Thomas. Not just staying healthy, but does your team and their and the players, with all this strife going on around this country from the from a society standpoint, do you trust your coaches? And it, to me, it looks like Alabama, they've got a very strong relationship so far with their players. I, I agree. And j- just to briefly touch on uh, a potential opt-outs, should they come to pass, I, I respectfully disagree with the players, but it is their individual choice if they want to do that. And, you know, that, that's kind of open and shut to me. You know, I disagree, but you're grown men. It, it, <laughs> you can make your own choices. But – I think you're absolutely right, Drew. You start, when you look at any college football season, your national champion nine times out of ten is going to come from one of anywhere from 12 to 15 programs. And there are a variety of things you can look at in terms of returning talent, where that returning talent is, how stable the coaching staff is, et cetera, et cetera. And when I look at this Alabama team, I don't see the questions. I don't see the things that make you nervous about, you know, last year, 
Alabama won't win a national championship without Tua Tonga Vailoa and Dylan Moses. Well, they both right. got hurt. They both got hurt. That happens. Now, I, I don't think Alabama would enjoy losing Dylan Moses again. I know as a fan I would not enjoy it because just, uh, yeah, I need a drink even thinking about that. But it's not going to be as catastrophic a situation, at least because you have a year of Shane Lee and Christian Harris. You look around at the other you know, 12-ish teams that are going to be in the running, and we touched on Georgia. I mean, LSU is going to be trotting out the damn nacho guy because they've lost so many players. Auburn, you know, Auburn has just started their their four their four year cycle where they graduate a bunch of seniors on the offensive line and then they play Aubie, a cheerleader, a future first round draft pick, and Christy Malzahn on the offensive line for the next three years. Then they turn into gods, but they're at the start of that, so they're going to struggle. And then you kind of look around, Big Ten's Ohio State, not in the, not in the equation. Clemson is, is still the boogeyman, but, you know, that's, that's not – Alabama has to get through the SEC before they have to worry about Clemson. And so you look at this team, and it's fair to be excited. And just to reiterate your point, there hasn't been the strife. The, the, uh, the recent march, the racial justice march thing, I think that's about as well as you can handle it. You have a point of view. You have a platform. You express the platform. We move on. I thought that was well handled. I think it's some of the better ways it's been handled from a sports perspective. And, you know, that's not something that that, that speaks to the structure around the Alabama program being resilient to what, by any definition, have been extreme circumstances since, what, mid-March. So it, it's, I think Alabama's in a really good spot. Yeah, I think they are. And, you know, I think they got a chance to have a really good football team. Before we start, um, you know, breaking down this Alabama team position by position uh, and, and giving us their outlook, I wanted to get your thoughts. What, we, what are your thoughts now on, you know, the revamped schedule uh, and playing a 10-game SEC gauntlet starting in September, late September, September 26. So I think at the time that the SEC had to make that choice, this is probably the best way to handle it because by backing the season up, you do have a little bit of a buffer zone. I mean, the SEC has the ACC going next week. They had some teams play. You know, we talked about South Alabama and USM. You had some teams playing uh, this past Saturday. And you've got other sports leagues out there competing. So the SEC was able to make an informed choice. And so we're going to go 10-game pure SEC schedule. It's going to be interesting to see the final record of a lot of teams because as, as excited as I am about Alabama and you look at Alabama's schedule, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's got its share of landmines because it's the sec, but it's really going to be difficult for any of the top, you know, call them top five sec teams in Georgia, Florida, Alabama, LSU, and Texas A&M. Because, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Texas A&M a little bit later, but if Jimbo Fisher's ever going to get anything done, this is the season. He's got dudes on top of dudes on that roster. But anyway, 
it's really hard to see because of the grind of the SEC someone coming out of it undefeated. I would argue should Alabama do that or should Georgia do that or should Florida do that. I think that puts them in good stead just overall in context. So I wish we had football, you know, like you said, I wish we could talk USC, Alabama, and Dallas because I was going to go to that game and that would have been great. But I think this is, I think for the member institutions, it's a great way to proceed as a conference. And it's going to be exciting football. You know, Alabama plays Georgia early and they play Texas A&M early. And, but in the back half, you've got LSU and Auburn still leading into an SEC championship. So you've got at minimum five marquee games. And that that's pretty much what you get in most schedules anyway. So I think it's a good way. I think it's a good way forward for the conference. And we're going to have exciting football. You know, you look at the breakdown of every week. There's at least one or two games that are like, I will sit my booty on the couch, turn on the television, and just watch. Well, I think there's a couple of trap games for Alabama. One of them being the second game in the home opener against Texas A&M, because you just said it yourself. Jimbo Fisher, they've been looking to this year. They've got a lot of experience on both sides of the ball. You know, Kellen Mind has historically played well against Alabama. Uh, I know he's been inconsistent in his career, but that game is is, is an interesting one. And then also uh, the Kentucky game being between LSU and Auburn, because Personally, Thomas, I picked Kentucky to finish third in the East ahead of Tennessee. So I think that's a dangerous game as well. And really, Alabama's toughest three-game stretch to me is LSU, Kentucky, and Auburn in a row. I could buy that. you got to give Mark Stoops a lot of credit with Kentucky. They're, right. You know, they, they quietly – what was it? Two years ago, it was a 10-3 and season where they were playing Georgia for the SEC East crown. And then last year it was a solid eight and three where they had a running back playing quarterback, but he wasn't a good quarterback, but he was a great running back. So he, he Mark Stoops is really good at getting blood out of that out of the proverbial stone for uh, for for the Kentucky Wildcat football team. But I think the one to me, if there's one game that kind of when the schedule came out, my hackles raised. It was Texas A and M. Yeah, I, I'm. I know it's early, so. Alabama's still going to be figuring out the quarterback position. They're still going to be figuring out the secondary. And those are really the two. For me, if you want to take uh, a Sharpie and circle two spots to keep an eye on in fall camp, it's the defensive secondary and the quarterback. And I don't think those questions will be settled then. And, again, A&M's got guys. Now, I will want to see how the A&M offensive line comes together in week one. That'll be my thing. Because I think everybody expects Alabama to beat a rebuilding Missouri pretty handily. But I want to see the statistics I'm going to be looking at coming out of week one in the SEC are yards per carry average for Texas A&M and yards before contact. You know, if if A&M rips off five, six, seven yards per carry and – the first time a running back is contacted is three yards beyond the line of scrimmage. That's going to raise some serious alarm bells for me because I think Alabama's front seven is elite, but that's really, really good production. And the thing that has consistently held Texas A&M back without one of the Matthews kids on the line has been shoddy offensive line play. If A&M steps up, 
whole different ball game. But again, there's still again there there are three weeks before even the first games. Injuries happen, coronavirus could happen, an opt out could happen. So it's hard to speculate aside from this one could get dicey. But honestly, beyond that game, Drew, I like how Alabama's schedule sets up. The three game set set that you put to, that you highlighted can get a little weird, but. If Alabama's going to have a tough chunk of the schedule, I'd rather have it on the back end because, and this is something we've, we haven't spoken about here, but I'm sure you've talked about it on Talking Ball, Alabama's coaching staff has been in place for more than nine months for the first time in years. So that group of, that group of coaches will have an outsized effect getting younger players up to college game speed, into the defense, into the offense, into the you know, pick, your, pick your spot. So that thing makes me feel okay, and that's something we've seen with Nick Saban teams in the past. You can beat them early, really hard to beat them late if things are flowing in a good way. Yeah, no doubt, and I think this Alabama team's got a chance to be special. Uh, You know, the the two biggest questions on offense are, can Mac Jones be the long-term starting quarterback this season? Of course, we didn't get a chance to see spring football, so that was – we did Bryce Young – wasn't able to scrimmage and, and try to put pressure on Mac. And then to, co- to complicate things further for Bryce, he misses the first scrimmage really due to COVID concerns. Uh, he missed several days of practice. He's back now. He was back uh, for Alabama's March for Racial uh, Justice, in, you know, uh, in social justice on Monday. And he's been back practicing, but he still has yet to scrimmage. So it's very important to see Bryce Young this Saturday the second scrimmage of fall camp when jobs are to be won. We're hearing buzz that, you know, Steve Sarkeesian wants to see more of Bryce, and he's starting to flash in practice, and he's already been impressive throwing the ball in workouts and uh, with his leadership qualities. But, again, Mac Jones is a popular guy on this team, too. He's an anomaly, as you know, Thomas. The, the quarterback position has become the most transient in college football. Guys jumping around, sometimes going to three different colleges. And uh, but but Mac Jones stuck around. He's a fourth year junior. He impressed in his starts last year against Arkansas, Auburn uh, and Michigan. But now he's going to have to play consistently. We've heard he's been solid in fall camp. And what I heard coming out of the first scrimmage, no interceptions, which is good. The offense was productive when he was in there during red zone work. He did lose a fumble. But so uh, so he, he didn't he wasn't, you know, flawless. He was and I think he was 21 of 36. So he's going to have to be a little more consistent, but he should have a really good offensive line in front. And the, to me, the only other question on this offense is the center position. Chris Owens has been getting a lot of run as a fifth-year senior, but he wasn't very good last year in his four starts. Landon Dickerson took over. Uh, what I heard in the first scrimmage was we saw Chris Owens with the ones, then we saw Landon Dickerson just about as much. And then Darian Dalcourt, I think the future at the position – but not till in 2021, got a couple of series. So that's been a little bit of a surprise to me. I thought Dalcourt might be the guy this year, but I still think overall, if you have Chris Owens at center, you're going to see Landon Dickerson at left guard, Deontay Brown at right, and then the two best tackles in the SEC, left tackle Alex Leatherwood, right tackle uh, Evan Neal. But my gut tells me, Thomas, that it may play out like last year, that you'll see Landon Dickerson at center, Owens be the backup as a senior, and then you'll have uh, Deontay Brown, Cornbread go to left guard, 
right guard be Emil Echior, and then as been previously stated, the tackles will be Alex Leatherwood uh, and Evan Neal. But regardless, I like the, what this offensive line could become. I just have questions about Chris Owens, and if Mac Jones can hold off Bryce Young, I do think that he has the talent, uh, but I will say I've sticked with what I've predicted. This is a one-year deal for Mac. He either plays very, very well and moves on to the NFL, or he can't hold on off Bryce Young, and he could end up somewhere else as a fifth-year senior you know, at another program. But ideally, he will play well this year. I know the players really like him, and I think when you, when you, when you talk about Landon Dickerson being the center, I love his power and his nastiness. I think this offensive line could potentially be the best in the SEC. And, of course, when you talk about Alabama's running backs room, I don't think any of us expected to see 22 back. Najee Harris, he had 20 touchdowns last year, 13 uh, rushing, 7 receiving. You've got uh, Brian Robinson and Trey Sanders. And, so the, and, and some talented freshmen led by Roy Dell Williams. So it's going to be a very deep running backs room. But when you look at the – even with Devontae Smith, at wide receiver and Jalen Waddle. To me, offensively, Thomas, uh, this is going to be a team that should be able to run the football better than any in the SEC. And to your point, I would rather Landon Dickerson be center because give me a left side of the line, Dickerson, Deontay Brown, Alex Leatherwood. That is as nasty a blocking trio as you can imagine, from at least a run-blocking perspective. You know, Deontay Brown's calling card has always been he will throw somebody out of the stadium because he has so much power. And give Najee Harris a crease, he'll take it a mile. So I would – it's a lot of fun to see Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith do Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith things with the football. Big plays are always a good time, and – I have no problem with that. But uh, three yards in a cloud of dust has won a lot of games. Now, Alabama's not going to do specifically that. But being able to have that kind of balance, being able to change your pitch if you need to. You know, Alabama gets up by 14 points against a good Georgia team. Even though there are questions, Georgia's a good football team. It's It's absolutely a credit if the Alabama offense can say, we're going to run at you every down, and we're going to get first downs. If the Alabama offensive line can do to the, – the 2020 Alabama offensive line can do to the Georgia defense what that SEC championship game offensive line did in the second half, and they do stuff like that throughout the season, Alabama is going to blow the SEC away because that, that sort of ability to either let Devontae Smith blow the top off a of defense – or just run someone over with a stable of running backs is really, really hard to stop. And even if the offense slows down, Drew, I got to say, I'm really excited about what I think we're going to get out of this front seven on the Alabama defense. Yeah, I am too. And, uh, but before we talk about that, I wanted to talk about the rest of the receiver core because we know what Alabama had the last uh, really three years and, and especially the last two, the most talented foursome we've ever seen. Henry Ruggs has now been a first-round pick of the Las Vegas Raiders as the highest-drafted receiver in the uh, 2020 NFL draft. Jerry Judy drafted behind him in the first round at Denver. We both expect great things out of those guys, and we think Jalen Waddell, I think, 
And Desmond Howard picked him yesterday to win the Heisman, uh, Thomas. And I think he has that kind of talent. Uh, he's not been featured except for really the Iron Bowl last year. And he finished his freshman year really strong with 800 yards. He's as explosive as any athlete in the country. I do think he has that kind of ability if they can get him the ball. Now, I think I don't expect many teams to kick off to him or punt to him. But if he gets some opportunities, I think he'll make plays. Uh, but I think he can be as good as any. And we know Devontae Smith is all reliable. He's clutch. He can run routes. Just ask Mr. Stingley, who got his ass roasted, uh, uh, even though he's consensus the top corner in college football. You know, but I will say, number six, Devontae Smith schooled him badly in Tuscaloosa last year. Devontae was really the second best receiver in the SEC last year, uh, other than I thought Jamar Chase, even though I know Justin Jefferson had a huge year too, but I just thought Devontae was tremendous, uh, and he's going to be really good. But I'm excited about Slade Bolden. Uh, I know he's only been a specialty guy so far. Uh, he's someone that, you know, has been in the wildcat and short yardage situations. But I think he's going to, you know, step up and be a, a, a force uh, either in the slot and even outside sometimes for Alabama. I'm excited about John Mechie. I've also heard he's done a nice job away from the football blocking uh, and showing some toughness and hard-nosed ability. Uh, I know he made he had a touchdown catch in the scrimmage a couple of weeks ago, the first one from what I heard was uh, in red zone work, so uh, from about 11 yards out. So Mechie is a guy that I'm excited about. And then, of course, another couple that have uh, you've been sitting here in some things. And if you watched the practice video yesterday, Thomas, they were in the indoor facility, and they did do some scrimmage-like work. It wasn't a true scrimmage, but you saw Xavier Williams, number three. He's now gone from nine to three. He catches a ball over the middle. And then also one of the freshmen that's making a lot of noise is Javon Baker. He had a touchdown in the scrimmage as well a couple weeks ago. So I'm excited about those guys. I certainly don't think it's going to be a groom as talented as we've seen the last two years, but I don't think there's going to be a ton of drop-off. So I think Alabama is still going to be really talented outside. And then really the most underrated part of this offense, I think, is the development of the tight ends. We've got Miller Forrestall back as a fifth-year senior who has been a guy that, as you know, has had an injury-plagued career. But he's back. You've got Major Tennyson back. And then Carl Tucker, the graduate transfer from North Carolina, he's impressed Saban as a blocker and receiver. I think he's going to be that. He's going to be in a lot of their two and three tight end sets. I think he's going to play as much probably as Major Tennyson. And then from a depth perspective, hearing a lot of good things about Cameron Latu, who's uh, who's a got a full year under his belt at the tight end position. I really liked some things that I saw when he first moved over there. So. It looks like Alabama is going to have some depth at tight end and be, you know, better than they were a year ago. So I think this offense potentially, if Mac Jones plays consistent football and you figure out center, if it's Landon Dickerson, I, I'm not, I don't see a lot of, you know, weaknesses in this offense. I'm very excited about it. I think they could average, uh, you know, north of 35 points a game. You talked about them being tough to stop in the SEC, and I'm, I'm just really excited about this team offensively and their potential. I think that there's potential all over the place. And once more with feeling, the one thing that Alabama missed more – not as much as to his injury at the end of the year, but the thing that Alabama missed the most from year to year was Irv Smith in the offense. Yes, yeah. very, I, very good point. I, Irv Smith two years ago was a guy that 
you couldn't cover him with a linebacker, and if you had to put a safety on him, he'd just go Godzilla mode. Alabama didn't have that last year, it, and it showed. Now, the, still, Alabama's offense was exceedingly productive, so it's not like you're sitting here and Alabama goes from scoring 50 points a game to scoring two. That's ridiculous. But it's it's all about having weapons, and if uh, if Cameron Latu can be a guy that can force, do you put a linebacker on him? Do you put a safety on him? Or uh, Billingsley, the uh, the the you do a Billingsley, yes, yeah, who uh, who flashed on occasion, and he's gonna he's had a year in the another year in the program, so. I, I I think this offense is it's not going to be what it was over the past two years. Mac Jones is not Tua Tonga Vailoa. I don't think Bryce is uh, Tua Tonga Vailoa either yet. Uh, Tua is, is a it was an exceedingly rare breed, and one of the things I would caution Alabama fans about is just assuming that Bryce will be what we saw last year from Tua. That's if it happens, Alabama wins the national championship by like forty points. But <laughs> but it's 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 ridiculous. Like I, I can't even countenance what something like that would look like. So you know, just, just calm down. It'll be okay. And one of the things that we said last year, as injuries started to mount for the defense, is the offense has to carry the defense. And I, I know I'm pushing to talk defense because I, I love defense. Yes, it's fun. Drew, I don't feel like, when I look at Alabama's roster, I don't feel like the offense has to cover for the defense or the defense has to cover for the offense. Much like Alabama being able to change their offensive pitch, you know, if they have to go score 50, go score 50. If they have to drill someone's ass into the dirt and just grind them out running the ball, they can do that too. I think if the offense has a slow day, the defense can make up for it and vice versa. And that sort of flexibility is fairly unique in college football looking at who Alabama may play throughout the season. And that has me pretty excited. I'm really looking forward to this defense. Yeah, I mean, I think it's potentially could be uh, the breakout unit for Alabama. I think everyone understands while they may not be as explosive and they may be a little more methodical and ground-oriented offensively, they're still going to be very, very good under Steve Sarkeesian. Defensively, the pressure point is still Pete Golding for me. Nick Saban could have made a change. There was a lot of rumors he would after the Citrus Bowl. He did not. He only, the only change he made defensively was getting uh, Brian Baker out the door. Thank the Lord. Uh, he's now with the assistant defensive line coach with the Indianapolis Colts. He doesn't have to recruit in the NFL, and he obviously was allergic to it at Alabama. Uh, but I will say I've heard really good things about Freddie Roach thus far coming from the building the way he's approached recruiting and the re- that recruiting class right now, Thomas, think about this back in May, it was 54th in the country, Miami of Ohio, Ohio university. You could name several schools that you would just have you incredulous that Alabama was behind because they, they got down to one commitment from Deontay Lawson. Once they lost Drake may and with Terrell McCutcheon may going to North Carolina McCutcheon to Oklahoma. But now this Alabama recruiting class, depending on what poll you look at, is either one or two with their 20 commitments. It's been an amazing rise. Uh, They've built it around the line of scrimmage. They're not done. I still think this would be stunning because, Thomas, you follow recruiting too. 
it, the sexy positions are quarterback, which they now have Jalen Milrow, who they flipped from Texas, and then running back. And Alabama may not take a running back, especially if Keelan Robinson decides to stay in the program. They, they have a loaded running back room. So they're recruiting Kamar Wheaton, the top back in the country from Texas. But, you know, it's basically Alabama and Oklahoma and a little bit of LSU. I think Oklahoma's probably where he lands. So Alabama may not even take a running back in this class. And a lot of times, the reason you have the top class in America is you have sexy players at running back and quarterback. That would be pretty stunning if Alabama put together the number one class in the country uh, because they signed the top offensive line class, potentially the top D-line class, and the top wide receiver group, and still finish number one without five-star sexy guys at those two premium positions. Well, that would, that would pave the way for a lot of success, assuming top D-line top offensive line. And the thing about it is, Drew, you know, you mentioned the meteoric rise as Alabama added a bunch of commits. One of the things that's happened over the past couple of years, even though Alabama has done very well in recruiting, don't get me wrong, there have been like lulls where why isn't Alabama in on XYZ five-star guy? And I, I, Nick Saban has forgotten more about recruiting than I'll ever know, so I'm not being critical. But you look at the guy's still out there, you know, the, the not, maybe not the sexy running back quarterback stuff, the five-star awesome, all Uber, everything guy, but you know, the five-star defensive ends or the five-star tackles or the five-star not quarterback running back, Alabama is at least in the conversation. So even as Alabama sits with 20 commits and uh, I think the number, correct me if I'm wrong, Drew, the, 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 the brain trust thinks 26 or 27 is the size of the final class? Yeah, it looks like 26 only because there was a factor I didn't think about because there's only one player from the the, uh, the class that finished number two in the country last year that did not enroll, and he's not playing this season. He's going to gray shirt, and that's from Akron, Ohio, Caden Clark, the tight end. That's another reason why Alabama's only going to take one tight end in this class, probably Robbie Outs out of the state of South Carolina because Caden Clark had a very severe knee injury, uh, Thomas. We talked about it on BAMs at the end of last year. He missed the end of his senior season. They're going to gray shirt him, so he would count on whether it be a back counter to the, to that class or, you know, to this current one because I think they've got a one maybe one back counter they can count in this 2020 group. So that would leave you with six spots left. And so the, the spots are getting very, very tight. You know, I think Alabama would still like to add a couple more defensive linemen. Uh, they would still like to add a couple more DBs. And then I talk, we talked about the tight end, Robbie Outs. Uh, I think they're probably done along the offensive line uh, because I think Anquin Barnes may end up becoming an offensive lineman since they took Tim Keenan from Ramsey out of Birmingham. And then they might take one more linebacker if they could get uh, a guy like Xavier Sori from IMG Academy or Christian Zachary. But I, I do think that Alabama got a small pool of players they're still recruiting, uh, you know, and they they could add some more pieces in September and October. I think they will. Uh, so really, by the time the season's not even halfway over, I think a lot of the hay will be in the barn. But this, as you know, this year has been so unlike any other with the virtual visits. And I'm, I'm hoping they will at least open it up to where kids can visit schools by October during the season. And so they can reaffirm their commitments. And in some cases, maybe Alabama 
can get some other big targets on campus, like a Shamar Turner from DeSoto, Texas. Shamar's been visiting uh, the Texas schools. I think he was in Baton Rouge this, this weekend for Labor Day. So he's a big target for Alabama. But, yes, I mean, I think they've, you know, I think they've got a chance to finish very strongly, but the if the, the spots are getting tight. And so this recruiting year has been unlike any other. I guess we're still going to have an early signing period. I've often wondered if maybe they might just push everything back to February. But so far, there hasn't been any changes announced. So we're assuming it's going to be in December. But going to be an interesting uh, uh, finish to recruiting, no, no question about it. And, and you know, and that, that, was what, that was what I wanted to get at real quick was – it will be an interesting finish, but you look at that small pool of players that Alabama's in on, and it is, for, for lack of a better phrase, it is dudes. It is yes. really good players that will be the proverbial cherry on top of a very good recruiting class. And, you know, again, if you sign the top offensive line class, you sign the top defensive line class for all of the spread stuff that makes offense rule and all of that, all of that, whateverness. The SEC, in particular, is still a line of scrimmage league. If you're an offensive line, you got to be able to move people out of the way. If you're a defensive line, you either got to be able to stay in the offensive line up or one gap penetrate and sack the quarterback. Which, you know, one of the things I will say, Drew, we're talking about, you know, new guys coming in, defense stuff. What we're looking at, both the offense and the defense being able to support each other. All I want for Christmas, or really all I want for September the 26th, is the University of Alabama to give me some organic pass rush. I've been missing <laughs> it for a couple of years, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of missing it. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to get it, but I think there are some people that might give me my, my early Christmas present with some organic pass rush on this defensive uh, unit. Well, and, and I've said before earlier in our conversation that Pete Golding is the pressure point, and I, I think he is. But this is his make or break. He's either going to establish himself as a hot young coordinator again and a future head coach, or he will be leaving the program after this year because they don't live up to the standard. But the talent is not going to be the issue anymore, Thomas. You just made a great point with that. Because I think this defense has a chance to, to make a run at Georgia. Now, right now I'm here in Georgia – is being compared to the steel curtain of the Pittsburgh Steelers. The greatest defense we've ever seen. Now, all I remember is them getting their ass eviscerated by LSU last year. But what we understand is LSU is not the same LSU. So Georgia does have a lot of defensive talent returning. So on paper, they are the top defense. But I do think Alabama potentially could make a run at them. And I wanted to start with the defensive line because we know that, there wasn't enough said about that last year, Thomas. I think the defensive line, first of all, Brian Baker did a very poor job. Second of all, they were banged up. We never saw the real D.J. Dale. He had knee injuries all year because I saw that kid in high school, and when, he was in, and when he was healthy in the spring, he looked like a freak, okay? We never saw that last year. And people don't talk enough about LeBron Ray going out against South Carolina. He was starting to play at a very high level. He's now a redshirt junior. He's now switched from 89 to 18 from my community, James Clemens High School in Madison. He has NFL ability. If he's back and you've got DJ Dale healthy, and then we know how high you are on Christian Barmore. I was high on what I saw of him in a, in a uh, bit role last year. If he can be consistent and, and grind, 
and you know keep his assignments you know be, be assignment sound and you know and, and play as he's coached he has the ability to be a breakout player so to me you've got three outstanding starters right there on the first team and then that doesn't even take into account a Byron Young who's now a sophomore who started some last year a Darian Mathis who has played a lot of football as a redshirt junior is back for Alabama can play at end or, or if, if on the nose. We've got Ismail Sopshire, who was the rumor of transfer, you know, uh, it was rumored to be mulling a transfer earlier this summer, but who I think came a long way since March and may have finally the light may have come on. And then you've got, you know, a guy like Justin Aboigby, uh, at defensive end as well, Braylon Ingraham. This has a chance, Thomas. I think the defensive line group maybe be the most improved uh, unit on this entire football team this year. I think I would go linebackers just because I think Dylan Moses is that big an upgrade at the at the mic. But right, but uh, you know, it's kind of six and one half dozen the other. And to your point about Christian Barmore, I feel like I said this every week when we were talking about it last season on Bams Radio. He was exceedingly disruptive. I think he was actually the most disruptive defensive lineman in the country. It's just his sample size was much smaller per um, pro football uh, or college focus. football talk. Yeah, pro football yeah. focus. And yeah. that's why you see him get mocked in early mock drafts in the first round. Now, whatever. It's an early mock. No big deal. But that's why you see the, the potential. And if he can clean up some of the assignment stuff, and again, I'll repeat what I said last year, if you're supposed to penetrate a gap, if you're, if you're playing a one-gap penetrating defensive tackle in uh, a four-down front, four front, and you penetrate the wrong gap, it's a jailbreak, particularly if you don't have – if your linebackers are not able to react well. So if Barmore cleans that up, he'll be awesome. I'm interested to see, personally, uh, Ish Shopshire. Yeah, say that name ten times fast. Because <laughs> he came in real heavy. Like, his body was, was – let's just say he liked the buffet line. Let's go with that. But the thing we haven't talked about, Drew, and we can talk about it after the defense, is uh, the new sport, the strength and conditioning guys, getting Alabama players like an Ish Shopshire in – to much better shape to contribute in a positive way. And, I mean, I think the sky is the limit for this group. I will be interested to see how Pete Golding chooses to deploy the, 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 the down lineman. Does he do more four-man fronts and do one-gap penetration? Or does he try and do heavier fronts with heavier tackles and a nose and just let a guy, like, let one of the jack linebackers that came in in Will Anderson or Drew Sanders be a terror off that side, off, off whatever side they're lined up on. And the thing about that is we don't really know. We've never seen Pete Golding coordinate a defense that can be so multiple. But I will say, Drew, one guy I'm real interested to see, just to move to, to talk about the linebackers, is Christian Harris. Like Dylan Moses deserves – all the preseason accolades, and Sanders and Anderson deserve the hype, the organic pass rush hype that I've at least thrown at them from what we're hearing through practice. But 
Christian Harris came to Alabama as an athletic super freak. And he was able to do some things last year that showed off that athleticism. To me, the question for Christian Harris is, has he progressed well enough on the mental side where if Alabama needs to go into their dime look, they can actually deploy nickel personnel with Christian Harris because Christian Harris can take a guy in the slot. That provides some substitution flexibility, and it provides a lot of multiplicity in a defense. Also, if you have a team that's trying to run and hit the edges, it's one thing to block a cornerback. It is quite another to block um, an inside linebacker, which is what Christian Harris would be playing. I really want to see that side of life and how both the defensive line and the progress in the linebacker core, how Pete Golding chooses to deploy him. Because from where I'm standing, again, not ever having coordinated a defense, but at least understanding the position side of life, there are a ton of ways that Pete Golding could choose to deploy these guys. And the vast majority of them are, to me, are fairly defensible. Yeah, well, and I'll say this about the linebacker core. Last year, because of injuries, we all know what happened. They had to start two true freshmen for the first time in history. Both of them had growing pains. I still reiterate that Shane Lee has been given a raw deal. And and I know he has physical limitations, Thomas. And I know that he he may not be, uh, you know, from a he's not prototypical from a size standpoint with the length of his arms and probably speed. But I, I'll say he still was first team freshman All SEC had and had 80, 80 plus tackles in a defense that's extremely hard to learn. And because it hasn't changed much under Nick Saban with what Pete Golding is teaching, this is not Golding system at Saban. And I thought. The young guy, and I think some of the reason why people question his speed is I think at times he was caught out of position and it was paralysis by analysis. Because when you're playing, when you're thrown to the wolves like that, sometimes you still hesitate mentally. And I think it's probably going to be the best thing that happened for his career that he can learn under Dylan Moses for a year at the Mike spot and only play in a sub package, you know, capacity where he doesn't have to play every down. And I think he'll learn more. And I think he'll be better for it down the road. He's not the athlete that Christian Harris is. Christian Harris is faster. He's got more length. But I do think Shane Lee is extremely intelligent. I think he's a leader. And I think down the down the road, he could still be a very good linebacker for Alabama. Now, he may be a guy that you know, been on passing downs you have to take out, even though he had a pick last year. But I will say, I think Christian Harris has a lot of potential. He and Dylan Moses can be quite a dynamic duo. And how ironic is this? This has probably never happened in SEC history, or at least Alabama history, Thomas. But before going to IMG Academy his senior year, Dylan Moses went to Baton Rouge Lab High School. Guess where Christian Harris went? Baton Rouge Lab High School. That's amazing. You've got your potential starting inside linebackers played at the same high school in the backyard of LSU. That's that's crazy. And so one thing about I'll, – I'll take up the torch for Shane Lee and go back and watch Alabama play West Virginia a few, you know, four or five years ago now, maybe five years yeah, ago. Yeah, I know now. exactly where you're going with this. Yep, yep. Because of, let's just call it issues, <laughs> a not 
the light bulb hadn't come on for Reuben Foster yet. Correct. And Reuben Foster's eyes were about as big as the Georgia Dome. Huh. He was – you want to talk about struggling? He was struggling. <laughs> yeah. And we yeah. all know what Reuben Foster turned into. Now, is Shane Lee going to be Reuben Foster? I'm not going to put that on him because Reuben Foster is a monster. He, he was a monster at Alabama, and if he ever gets his head right, he'll be a monster in the NFL. So keep an eye on that for all you Washington football team fans. But, you know, if, it, as the light bulb comes on for the guy – I think he's going to be a good linebacker. I just I think that his problem is he did get thrown in the fire and Shane Lee is not Dylan Moses and there was going to be a step back. But yeah. you know, overall, oh no, Dylan Moses gets hurt. I guess we have to throw the guy out there that's had a year of absorbing the defense. And the only reason that people say that he was athletically limited is because his reactions were not fast enough to make up for how the fact he had to think. If he can just play, I think he'll be fine, even against high-octane offenses that want to throw four and five wide receivers out there all the time. Well, and I'll just I'll, I'll come up with this analogy. If Sean Deion Hamilton, who I still think is the most underrated player in the hit, in Nick Saban's era, he's, going to become a re, he's becoming a really fine player for the Redskins. If he, could, if he can play at Alabama at a high level, so can Shane Lee. So I just really think Shane Lee's got his best football ahead of him. He just got thrown into the fire last year. He and Joshua McMillan are the second group. Joshua came back for a sixth year. And Thomas, think about something like this. This would probably never happen again. Due to right now, I bet the NCAA may change their mind, but saying everybody's going to get another year of eligibility even after this season, I don't think he'll do it. But Joshua McMillan could be a seventh-year senior at Alabama next year. Seven years. He'll start, he'll start on his doctorate. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, he could have a doctorate almost like you. I mean, he's already got, I think, a master's and a, and a, uh, and a bachelor's. He's a very smart young man. He's back. He's going to back. He's, they're going to use his leadership and experience to continue to teach guys like Christian Harris and Shane Lee. He's with the twos. I think they've got a very talented third group. Ali Caho, who has become a great special teams player, Hopefully, mentally, he's going to start understanding this defense more and pushing for more playing time. He and Jalen Moody, who has, I've heard has gotten some first-team reps, he and Jalen Moody uh, are, are the third group. And then you've got two freshmen who I am very high on, Thomas. You've heard me stand on the table for Jackson Bratton at Muscle Shoals and Demoyer Kennedy from your neck of the woods uh, over there in Mobile, really uh, from Theodore, C.J. Mosley's high school. I think that both of those guys are going to have bright futures. And they're fourth-team guys. I think they'll be special team stalwarts. But, you know, I think Alabama's gone from having no depth last year to being loaded in that middle linebacker room. And then it, then you start talking about the outside backers. You're having to replace Anthony Jennings, who's probably going to start for the Patriots, and then Terrell Lewis, who's with the Rams. But I really still think I, – I may, you may think I'm nuts – but I think the outside linebacker group is going to be even more productive. And what a story it might be. Because if you and I each had a dollar for every time we've been asked about Ben Davis, we would probably both be living on an island somewhere on the beach in a castle and be millionaires. Okay? We would never have to work another day in our lives. He's been asked about more than anybody He's gone through a lot. He was a five-star, but that wasn't his doing. 
he's really a class kid because I interviewed him when he was, uh, I think, a junior at Gordo. And when he was starting to really make a rise as a prospect, he told me to call him the next day. He was very respectful. He, he, uh, he, he called me Mr. DeArmond. He was just a great kid. You can tell he'd been raised right by Wayne Davis and his wife and their family. Uh, and, and it's tough because Wayne Davis is, and think about this, Thomas, with Leroy Jordan, Derek Thomas, Cornelius Bennett, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know all, these, all these outstanding linebackers in history, you know, Darwin Holt, Barry Krause. He is the all-time leading tackler still in the history of the University of Alabama. And so it's very tough to follow in your father's footsteps and have to be a legacy. And he's played behind a lot of pros. He's worked at inside and outside linebacker, a lot of great players. But he stuck it out. He's got his degree. Now he may start at that jack linebacker position. Fourth-year junior Chris Allen, who's had injuries of his own. And that's, this, that's, that's another crazy stat, Thomas. Chris Allen's from Baton Rouge. So Alabama could have three linebackers start this year from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And if they kick LSU's ass in red stick, like I'm hoping, that will be pretty sweet to have three linebackers from your backyard whip your ass. But anyway, Chris Allen and then is a redshirt junior and Ben Davis, the fifth year senior. That's your two starters. But you already referenced the two young backups we've been hearing so much about. Will Anderson from, from uh, Dutchtown, Georgia, has been a monster. He had anywhere from three to five sacks. You heard all kind of different reports out of the first scrimmage. But regardless, it was multiple sacks. He was very disruptive. He's going to play a lot, at least in pass rush situations. And then Drew Sanders from Denton, Texas, a freak athlete. He's the backup at Sam. They're going to have some very good players there for South Sunseri to mold. And so when you look at those four guys, if Ben Davis keeps performing like he has, and Chris Allen, who was a valued prospect in his own right before a knee injury, if they're really good and can be supplemented by these two young studs, and you've still got a guy like King Makuta, too, uh, who's competing back there, and, and Kevin Harris, a redshirt freshman, I think this outside linebacker room may be better than last year, even with all that experience that returned. I think that's a possibility. I'll be interested to see what sort of production Alabama gets. The thing about this defense, as you just look at, you know, from nose guard to strong safety, is that it feels like there's a chance for an upgrade almost everywhere. And not because the players that are stepping in are are markedly better for XYZ reason. It's that there are not as many weaknesses. Uh, Shane Lee... Was a is is going to be a good linebacker at Alabama. He was not ready to be the middle linebacker of a defense as a true freshman. Christian Harris is going to be. I think he's going to be a fantastic will linebacker for Alabama. He was not ready last year, and so the defense kind of had to flex around those two. Then as injuries mounted along the defensive line, that exacerbated the the middle linebacker problems or the the interior the, in, the inside linebacker problems. Excuse me, and so. I think that should Alabama stay healthy, the entire defense is going to look so much better. And I'm not as worried about the secondary, Drew, not just because, you know, we, we, we kind of nibbled around about the secondary, about Brian Branch a couple of times. But Pat Sertain's legitimately an excellent cornerback. And Trayvon Diggs opting out pushed Josh Job into a starting job for 
the Citrus Bowl or whatever Alabama played in where they annihilated Michigan. But that's first, that's first reps for Job. So it's not like Alabama's going from an insanely awesome, fantastic, unbelievably great secondary to you, me, Redfish, and the nacho guy and the popcorn guy back there. So I just I'm really high on this defense because there's I don't think there's going to have to be as much flexing to cover for obvious weak points, and I think that is immeasurably valuable as Alabama goes through this ten game SEC season. Well, and I think the one disappointment back there last year, I think Diggs was not physical. He did not want to tackle. We saw that in LSU. We saw that in the Auburn game. Uh, you know he. You know, he, he just didn't play very well. He had, he botched the whole NFL draft process. He should have been a first-round pick, and he opted out of the Citrus Bowl. He opted out of the Senior Bowl. He ended up being a second-rounder of the Dallas. Hopefully he has a good career. But I just – I don't think he was ever as good as he should have been. So, I think Job started maybe showing some maturity. He's had he, – he kind of imploded last year in the Duke game because he got penalized early and – got beaten in coverage, and I think he just sort of fried. But he, he has a lot of talent. You're right about that. He and Sertain can be a really good duo at corner, both good size. You know, you need to play physical, need to hit. I think this is Sertain's money year. I thought he was good as really good as a freshman. I thought he was up and down as a sophomore, but I think he's taking a leadership role. And then I think the guy I'm most excited about at safety is Jordan Battle, the sophomore from St. Thomas Aquinas in Fort Lauderdale. <coughs> think he's got a chance to be a really good player and it's going to be interesting to see who's beside him Daniel Wright is probably the favorite same high school as Eddie Jackson when he came out he showed a lot of talent right now people will chuckle about this the thing he's most known for at Alabama is singing Nick Saban happy birthday okay that's Daniel Wright when you see that on social media when he comes into the team room and a dude singing happy birthday above everybody else that's Daniel Wright but I think he wants to be known more as a football player right now uh, than he does, uh, you know, as Luther Vandross. So he, I, he's, he, this is his last chance, though, because he's been in the doghouse. He took a red shirt year to clean up his shoulder and also get out and, you know, get back in the good graces of the staff, you know, a couple years ago. So he's got a chance now to, you know, to step up. If he can be the safety, I think he has a lot of natural ability next to Jordan Battle. Then your third safety is probably sophomore DeMarco Helms, who's built like a linebacker, Thomas. Right now, he'd be your 6th DB. He can be a guy you put down in the box that can play against the run. And so, uh, and then your third corner would probably be Marcus Banks, the sophomore from Texas, who's a little bit undersized, but real feisty guy that's had a good camp. So that's your probably your top six DBs. You know, safety Eddie Smith, he might be your fourth, uh, you know, the uh, uh, you know, uh, piece back there uh, in the in the say in the safeties room. He's a sophomore, but he's and he's the cousin of Devontae Smith. But right now, I don't think he's in that top six when you're thinking about nickel and dime. And then, of course, the piece you brought up is right now he would be the the, the star instead of Jalen Armour Davis, who's a redshirt sophomore, or the junior college transfer Ronald Williams, and that's Brian Branch from Tyrone, Georgia. I don't want. I, I always hesitate to bring up Ninka because he was such a special player, and he's one of the greatest I've ever seen in an Alabama uniform. But he harkens back to a guy that's learned as quickly as a guy like Minka. And I think Brian. I'm not going to say he's going to have that big an impact because we haven't seen anybody else. 
I mean, pr- pretty much, uh, he didn't enroll early. The minute Minka Fitzpatrick hit the practice field, he was a freak at Alabama. But I do think, even if he's uh, anywhere close to that, that Brian Branch can have a big impact as a freshman. So I think right now, when you're looking at the defensive backfield, I think you're looking at Josh Job, Sertain at corner, Branch at star, and then your safeties would be Battle, Daniel Wright, and Hellum with Eddie Smith still competing. But I like, I'm like you. There's some people that are questioning the talent of this group. I think this group is going to be more cohesive than the one a year ago. Charles Kelly's been there a year now, Carl Scott. And I think this secondary is going to be more physical. And I think they got a chance. And if, Hey, what is the best friend of a secondary? What you just talked about, Thomas, a pass rush. So I think this Alabama defense as a whole has got a chance to bounce back after a couple of off years. And I'm really excited about the potential of this group if Pete Golding can come through as the coordinator and the communication issues have ceased. Yeah, I think it can't be undersold that with the exception of Brian Baker, which was – let's just put that situation in a box, put it on the shelf, and put some boxes in front of it and never speak of it again. The stability of the coaching staff is going to really pay dividends this year. And the final piece, Drew, we haven't had a chance to talk about this here. I know you've talked about it elsewhere, and we've had some offline conversation. How big are the changes with the strength and conditioning staff, both the new sports science center that Alabama opened over the past few months and the, I guess, the director of sports science and the basically head football strength and conditioning guy? How big an, how big an impact do you expect that those – I mean, I guess you call them off-field pieces. How big do you th- an impact do you think they're going to have? Well, I think they could be huge. I mean, when, when uh, Scott Cochran moved on after his, you know, 13-year tenure under Nick Saban throughout his entirety in Tuscaloosa, I think a lot of people thought it was a it was going to be a death blow, but it actually wasn't. You know, Coach Cochran was ready to take another step as a position coach. Kirby Smart gave him that opportunity. He wasn't going to get it at Alabama. I think his time had come and gone with. I think Alabama and Nick Saban. Nick Saban's always been uh, playing chess, and the others are playing checkers. He knew he needed to change his offense in 2014, so he brought in Lane Kiffin. Uh, you know, he started recruiting different types of defensive guys uh, when Kirby Smart left, uh, and he brought in Jeremy Pruitt. They started recruiting smaller, faster defenders, and they've made a transition there. And so the defense stayed very productive under Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, certainly. Uh, Pete Golding's indoctrination has had bumps along with Tosh Lefoy uh, being a one-year coordinator, but I think maybe that's about to smooth itself out. But I think David Ballou and Matt Ray were tremendous. And the way I look at it is the, what, what the, all the information you're hearing from the players is nothing but positive. And that new sports science center that they built is state-of-the-art. It's unlike any in the country. I think the players have complete trust in Jeff Allen and this medical staff when it comes to the coronavirus and the treatment and the injuries. And knock on wood, Thomas, knock on wood, here tonight on BAMS Radio, we have not seen injuries be a part of fall camp so far, which is a, a huge advantage, I think. And the biggest thing I've seen, and I'm sure you've noticed it as well, I was worried about Ismail Sopcher, who you've already brought up, and Deontay Brown, Cornbread. They both had weight issues. They both looked tremendous. And think about that they had to go home and they didn't have an entire offseason or spring practice and yet David Ballou and Matt Ray, I think, have kept them in shape. And that's tremendous. That shows that the players trust these strength coaches. 
and that Nick Saban made the right hires, getting them away from Indiana. I think this team is together. I think they're in shape. And I think their their hire is going to continue to, to have great effects. And I'll, I'll say this. If they open it back up where guys are and kids are able to visit Alabama's campus again and they can do more than virtually tour that sports science center and spend time with David Ballou and Matt Ray, it's going to become an even bigger factor in recruiting for Alabama too. So I just think it's tremendous. And as we're wrapping up the Spams Radio, I wanted to, we didn't talk about special teams. I wanted to real quickly touch on that because Alabama was inconsistent again last year. We know the job Jalen Waddle did as a punt returner and kickoff returner. He, given opportunities this year, he could be the best in the country. I don't know how many opportunities he'll get, but it's unbelievable to have him back. But the, one of the biggest losses for this football team last year, besides the inside linebacker injury and Tua Tungo Vailoa, was Will Reichert going down against Southern Mississippi. I think he was really starting to figure it out. As you know, he hit the upright a couple times. He was getting outstanding length on his uh, field goals. I think he was starting to get comfortable being four out of seven. And the biggest thing I took out of the first scrimmage was hearing that the, he's healthy. I already had heard that. But the ball was exploding off his foot, Thomas. He makes a 52-yarder and a 53-yard field goal. That would be a huge boon for Alabama to solve their kicking woes. I, I, I would almost hope that Joseph Boulevard can just take on a role as the kickoff guy. You let Reichert handle field goals. And then the punting job is going to be a three-way dance. Personally, coming out of the first scrimmage, I heard that you know walk-on freshman from Oak Mountain, Sam Johnson, had done most of the punting and had looked very, very solid. I do think that Ty Pirine, the sophomore from Prattville, is still battling with him for that first slot. And even J.K. Scott's brother, who's a senior transfer from Air Force, Charlie Scott, is competing as well. I still think it'll be either Ty Pirine or uh, Sam Johnson. I heard Johnson had the best scrimmage a couple weeks ago. I'm going to be anxious to see if that's still the case coming out of this scrimmage coming up on Saturday. And, boy, that's going to be a quite a BAMS radio we record on Sunday coming off the scrimmage buzz. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Again, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad that there's action between the white lines. And, again, I'm just excited. I think this team has a lot of elements that, that – can make for a special season and you know what more could you ask for going into a tough situation you already you just touched on not no major injuries thus far and you know what uh, you know if we wanted to subhead this this uh podcast is alabama looks good everywhere and that's really cool i don't think you can ask for much more if you're an alabama fan drew you really can't and we're just excited for the season. Uh, we're excited for this scrimmage coming up on Saturday when a lot of jobs are going to be won. We can't wait for the 26th at 6 p.m. in Farrow Field in Columbia, South Carolina. My radio station, 97.7 The Zone, we are now the home for all Alabama athletics in the Huntsville-Madison County area. It'll be our first game, so we're super pumped to, for Alabama to be uh, on our airwaves. So it's going to be an emotional day. I think it'll be an emotional day around the country uh, because, uh, you know, Everybody's going to be happy to have college football back. Certainly, it's tumultuous still, uh, you know, with uh, some of the uh, the uh, the uh, tensions going on in our society. But I think athletics can heal a lot of that. We hope everyone enjoys this uh, episode of Bams Radio for Thomas Watts. I'm Judy Arm, and it's been a true pleasure to bring you this tonight to preview this Alabama football team. 
Uh, we were very excited about their potential, and we'll continue to break it down next week coming off of scrimmage number two. Everybody have a great rest of your Labor Day weekend, and we'll talk to you next Sunday. Roll Tide.